Hello, everyone, and inside today's Locked On Canadians, Montreal has re-signed goaltender Samuel Montembeau to a two-year deal. What does this mean for Carey Price? What does this mean about a potential trade for Mikey DiPietro? And we follow up on the rest of your mailbag questions all inside today's show. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 660 of Lockdown Canadians. As always, thank you for making us your first listen. If you are listening to this wherever you get your podcasts, or if you're making us your first watch today and you're watching us on YouTube, thank you so much for subscribing and following along. I am one of your hosts. I am Scott Metla, and I'm joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. And Laura, once again, Kent Hughes is keeping us just on our toes enough uh, before we go down to three episodes a week so that we can ever fully relax here uh, covering the Canadians. The, it's an exciting offseason. What can we say? Kent Hughes is getting lots of things done. Maybe not at the pace that I want because I want to get some rest. Uh, maybe at the not at the pace that some of the listeners want because they want things to be happening all the time. But locking up Samuel Montembeau was something that needed to be done or making a decision on what to do with him was something that needed to be done. And now they have done it. They have rewarded him handsomely for what they put him through last year. Uh, and, uh, you know, he seems, by all accounts, he seems like a good guy, a team guy. Don't know if at the end of the contract he's still going to be in Montreal. But I think this is a decent amount. This is a decent amount. This is a decent term, a decent reward for uh, a player like Samuel Montembeau. Yeah. I, the only thing that surprised me out of all of this is that Samuel Montembeau was given a two-year one million AAV contract. The, the price is about right. He gets a raise on what he made last year for not only playing injured, but playing injured on the worst team in the NHL so they could try and get Carey Price back, not rush Caden Primo into the NHL. Uh, he, I don't like to say that teams owe players contracts for things, but this was the very least the Canadians could do because even if Carey Price is healthy and we're going to get to him to start our next segment in a little bit here. Uh, Samuel Montembeau, you know, if he goes on waivers and the team claims him, he's still going to get paid. And the Canadians are assuring that. And I'm very curious to know what the plan is right now. Like, if Carey Price is healthy, you have three NHL quality. I'm going to say quality lightly. We don't know what a fully healthy Samuel Montembeau looks like. He played hurt a lot last year. He was had good five-on-five five save percentage numbers, but the penalty kill sank him, and we don't know if the penalty kill's gotten any better quite yet. And Jake Allen's coming off an injury here. So I don't know if Samuel Montembeau is just that pull to shoot. We have a safety option that if you are feeling something tight, you're feeling a little banged up, you, you have the sniffles. Go home. Samuel, come up from Laval or come out of the press box. Uh, you're suiting up for the night as a backup or a starter or whatever. It's a really nice safety net, but I'm very curious whether or not this is an indicator for Carey Price. And I think that's just my Habs panic brain uh, going off in the worst possible way because it's like, uh, so what does this mean? It's it's two years. What 
what do you not a lot of teams give a backup goaltender two years, let alone one that might not even be their regular backup goaltender. And I don't know if I'm just overthinking it. I'm tired or the off season, you know, doldrum brain panic is set in. I am Laura. Am I crazy or more crazy crazy than I already was? No, you're not. But here's the thing. My panic brain is also going off, but it's also going off in relation to, to Jake Allen. That's where my panic brain is. And I'm getting a little bit upset about this because I feel like it means that they don't want to keep Jake Allen in in the conversation anymore. Um, Which we knew he's going to be a good trade piece for people who need competent goaltending. We knew that. We knew people were going to be calling about him. I just am not ready to say goodbye to him. But this kind of seems like the writing might be on the wall a little bit. I'm very... The Jake Allen thing isn't something I had considered because my thought then is, do they think Carey Price is good to go and Samuel Montembo saves them some money and now Jake Allen is expendable? I I don't love that idea. And I'm going to be real honest because if Carey Price gets hurt, you are relying on a guy who is not proven as an NHL 1A or 1B type goaltender. Backup, fine for what he's going to be at and hopefully they improve on last year, but... I, I don't love the idea of Samuel Montembeau being Carey Price's sole backup, especially because we don't know what's going on with Caden Primo cut white yet if he's cut for the NHL this year or not. There's a lot of risk. And it's funny, someone else mentioned something uh, in one of our mailbag questions that related to goaltending as well. And it's something that's been bouncing around before uh, Montembeau signed today. And Laura, do you have that question in front of you? I do. So this was a question that was uh, meant for the next week's mailbag, but uh, we're including it in our today's special edition Tuesday mailbag. And it's from Chenanda Lerbong. And the question is, should the Habs take a flyer on Michael DiPietro to improve the goaltending depth within the Habs organization? Now, I will point out that this was uh, posted before Samuel Montalbo was announced, but I still think it's worth discussing. And there's another question that we will ask a little bit later in the um, in, 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 in the mailbag. That's not related to goaltending. I'm very curious about Mikey D. Pietro because he's not a big goaltender like a lot of the other ones the Habs have signed. He stands just six feet tall, 23 years old. He did accept his qualifying offer from the Canucks and was also given permission by the team to seek a trade because obviously Thatcher Demko is the one ruling the net there. At the AHL level, he's had a 908, a 916, and a 901 save percentage. And he's been 21, 11, and 2. 3-1-0, 3-1-0, and, and 15-13-5. and five. Uh, At the NHL level, um, he's gotten lit up, basically, because the Canucks were terrible. He played one game in 18-19 as an emergency call-up, uh, let in seven goals. Um, the next year, started one game for the Vancouver Canucks, had a 7-1-6 save percentage, in, or uh, goals against average, and an 8-57 save percentage. And in one game this year, 3.14 goals against 8-2-4. And obviously, that's not the end-all, be-all, But he hasn't shown that he can make that jump to the next level, but he might be a fresh start option. And I, if the Canadians are trading Jake Allen and Samuel Montembeau is going to be in the NHL, they do need an AHL backup or at least an AHL person to split the time with Caden Primo and Di Pietro seems like a good fit, but I don't see the path to an NHL job getting any easier for him here. And I can't see, uh, Montreal being an option for him when there are teams that are likely have an easier path uh, forward right now, because at the end of the day, Carey Price is still there somewhere for at least another four years. Like 
you're not you're not getting the starting job at least not right now I really like how you said he's not a big goaltender and then you said he was only six feet because that's still an entire foot taller than I am. <laughs> um, like, like Joe Verbatic's six foot six. Carey Price is like six four. Like by yeah. comparison, Jake Allen's not a big goaltender, but like we see these monster guys like Vasilevsky or like Ben Bishop when he was still playing who are 11 million feet tall and like just And stay... wide. They're yeah, just broad, exa- right? Like yeah. DiPietro is not that, so he relies a lot on athleticism. And if we have Dylan Waugh on, assuming nothing happens, we should ask him about DiPietro. Um, we do have more goaltending stuff and related to Carey Price, and we're going to get into all of that coming up in our next segment. But first, today's show is brought to you by the folks at Bill Bar. You followed this podcast for long enough now. You know we love Bill Bar, and they have so many good flavors for you. And the newest one... Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar. Delicious chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. And folks, I need you to wipe the drool off your chin. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. And you can take them anywhere. Take them in the morning to work if you need breakfast on the go. Take them midday to fuel yourself. I take them on hikes for that little bit of energy and recovery. Built has everything for you. And if you go to built.com right now and use promo code LOCKED15, you're going to get 15% off your order. And they are always adding new flavors, including the new coconut brownie puff. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your next order. And also, before we jump right back into our show, the NFL Top 50 Countdown is going on at Lockdown NFL. They're going to give you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bat Online, available July 18th. That is Monday, the day we we're recording this at, on the Lockdown NFL podcast or on YouTube. So tune in for that. You don't want to miss that. All right, Laura, I know we have another Carey Price related question here before we dive into everything else in our, uh, uh, we'll call it mailbag. Mailbag. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Uh, mailbag number two of the week. Well, this is all mostly, mostly questions that were left over from Friday. Um, and we're really grateful to everybody, including IMU live stream. Question for the mailbag. If Carey Price did play this season, do you guys still think that the Canadians will not try to go for it? Or will he get traded? If so, who would take a contract like his? I think this year, regardless of who the starting goalie is, they're not going to go for it because it's it's a waste of everything else they've done. If they were going to go for it, they wouldn't have traded Jeff Petrie. They wouldn't have traded Tyler Toffoli. They wouldn't have traded Arturi Lekkanen, regardless of Carey Price's health. And I think this year is just as important for getting Carey back to uh, up to full speed. He doesn't have to be a 940 goalie anymore. If he can give the Canadians, you know, let's say 9-15, 9-10 goaltending, and Jake Allen can give them roughly the same, they're far better off than they were last year. It's just getting him back to consistency again. And if they get Pierre-Luc Dubois, if Slavkovsky turns out to be a godsend in disguise, if all these young guys continue their upward trajectory and progress, then maybe you take a crack at it next year when some of these other contracts, Jonathan Drouin is off the books, you can probably move Mike Hoffman at with a year off his deal. You're going to clear so much cap space off the books that you can afford to take a swing in free agency or in trades and add some big names to your franchise. 
I do not think this is the year for it, though. This year should be a retooling and getting that train pushed on the track in the right direction, trying to switch course right now. Uh, you end up like the Flyers, potentially. Just caught in no man's land and terrible with a goalie who's hurt or whatnot. It's it's not the year to go for it, unfortunately. It's quite interesting because some of the comments that I've been seeing just simply on our YouTube channel, like people are very, very widely split on this um, and also split on whether or not Kent Hughes is doing the right thing. I think for me and for a lot of people, like we talked about how, you know, the moment he got hired was the was the highest stock he's going to have until if and when he wins a Stanley Cup, right? Everything he does from now on is going to be a question mark until we see it play out. Somebody asked me the other day, like, was it right or Slavkovsky? Slavkovsky, who would have been the right decision? I was like, ask me in five years, you know? I feel the same way about the Jeff Petrie trade, right? We talked a lot about we're thinking about it. And somebody did bring up the point uh, that, you know, Carolina and Vegas ruined the market, or Vegas, in fact, ruined the market by letting Max Pacioretty go for nothing. So that is kind of like when you look at it in that context, then the Jeff Petrie return is amazing. But then some people are just kind of like, let's not tank because that's just a loser philosophy. And I think there needs to be a process. And I'm not too like they're not tanking in the way that Chicago's tanking, which is blatant. They're tanking in the way that they want to see what they have in the young players and they want to see what their assets are and they want to see what they can, you know, how much they can change out how much they can switch out in this team anyway so we've got a question from longtime listener um mike baranek good morning lauren scott so this was last week <laughs> i'm looking forward to draft day or this is two weeks ago here's my question when was the last time a first overall pick had been traded i've thought about it i'm sure it's happened i just can't remember also in your opinion who won the trade so there have actually been quite a few and some of them have been not super great ideas, but the last one, I believe, Scott, you found was 2003. Yes, uh, and this is a Grantland article, so if I am wrong on this, uh, this is the first one that popped up. Was it McIndoo? Let's see who wrote this article. It was McIndoo. So the Panthers traded the then number one pick and a third rounder to the Penguins for the number three pick a second round pick and Mikael Samuelson. And the, so the Penguins ended up picking first overall. They swapped uh, first and third picks and ended up picking Marc-Andre Fleury. But the year before that, Panthers were involved in a trade for the number one pick as well. Uh, the Blue Jackets traded the number three pick and the right to swap picks in 2003 to Florida for the number one overall pick. So Florida just straight up ran the risk of trading the first overall pick for a lower pick. That's it. And what happened is that's what happened because Columbus finished ahead of Florida. So the right to swap picks was not exercised in that draft afterwards, which it then makes sense why Florida was such a disaster for so many years. Like those were the decisions that were being made. Yes. And then obviously the most famous one, I guess, besides Guy Lafleur is 1999. And on draft day, the Canucks traded Brian McCabe and a future first round pick number 11th overall to the Blackhawks for the number four pick, then sent that pick and two third rounders to the Lightning for the number one pick. Then the Canucks sent the number one pick to the Thrashers for the number two pick and a third round pick, allowing the Vancouver Canucks to famously draft Daniel and Henrik Sedin under the guy under the watchful eye of Brian Burke, which it's not often that trading out of the first overall spot works out, but the first overall pick in 1999 
uh, was Patrick Steffen. So I, I think things turned out pretty well for the Canucks and not so much the Atlanta Thrashers. Great jerseys, but terrible trade guys. So <laughs> I think there's a yeah, there there were a couple a bunch of them in that little like five to 10 year period. And then it doesn't seem to be happening all that much anymore. And I personally think that, so this was before, right? Because it was when there was speculation was rampant that the Canadians were going to trade or might, might be shopping that first overall pick. I think they were going to keep it all along, but I did think in the, in the draft that they were trading up to fourth to get both right. And Slavkovsky, um, what ended up happening was they got Kirby duck. And I think maybe in our next segment, we'll start with our Kirby doc question that was in the mailbag for last week. Yeah, so uh, as always, if you want to send us your mailbag questions for our actual Friday mailbag when it, we record it Thursday night for Friday, instead of, you know, just kind of throwing it in wherever we feel like right now, you can tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. You can email us at LockdownCanadians at gmail.com. Uh, slide into the YouTube comments. Just don't be a jerk, please. That's all we ask. Uh, we love respectful comments and respectful people. Don't be mean. You don't have to agree with everyone, but just get along. And we'll answer all your questions there. But coming up in our final segment, we're going to get to the rest of the mailbag questions that have spilled over into part two. And that's all coming up next. So we are back. It is part two of the part two of our mailbag. I guess we're the sequel to the sequel. I we're like the we're Empire. Star Wars now. We're Star Warsing the the podcast. I guess here. Uh, as always, at LO underscore Canadians, LockdownCanadians at gmail.com, or the YouTube comments if you want to send us mailbag questions. We are always grateful for them. Laura, what else is in our leftover question uh, question bag here? So we did kind of, kind of touch on this on Friday, but I wanted to spend a little bit more time on it, and it was from Patrick L. How much pressure do you feel that Kirby Doc is our potential number two center? How much do you, pressure do you feel uh, he has? And how many points do you feel he needs to get in order for that deal not to feel like a bust. So I've seen a little bit of Kirby Doc conversation today, and a lot of people are just kind of like, well, trade him for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I'm like, I don't think that that's the plan. <laughs> no, and here's the thing is, like, we don't know what Kirby Doc's full ceiling is, and we think Nick Suzuki can top out at, you know, 80 points in a good season if everything continues to uh, pace the way it is. If Kirby Doc puts up 45 to 50 points this season on a team that's in flux, I think you're you're kind of happy if you're Kent Hughes. When the team gets better and, you know, if Slavkovsky ends up being that second line winger or whomever and the team continues to, you know, progress, you're going to want to see his points go up. But I think setting like a 45 to 50 point goal for the second line center, he'll probably get some power play time. I imagine he's going to get plenty of ice time here, especially depending on what they do with Christian Dvorak. And I think that's a safe bet. It, The biggest thing is you don't want to see him stagnate. You want to see progress. If the points aren't there, but you see him taking steps forward in other ways, I think you're happy then. Uh, like he doesn't, like we saw Cole Caulfield this year struggle to put up points, but you saw improvements in his game that were working. The luck wasn't there. Um, if Kirby Doc stagnates or, you know, looks like he's just kind of lost out there, then you kind of worry a little bit about whether or not this trade's a bust. But I, until I see Kirby Doc Blakes, admittedly, I didn't watch any of Chicago. Why would I subject myself to two bad hockey teams? They were very bad. I, I don't quite know where to, you know, place my feeling on him right now, but I will do so once I get a chance to watch him in the preseason and when the regular season starts. 
Right. And here's the thing is that I think it's it's very it's very important to kind of remember that not only was his growth derailed by injury, which now they're saying that, you know, it's not something that we're going to have to worry about long term, but also he was picked the same year that Cole Caulfield was picked, right? Like, it has not been that long. He hasn't had that much time. But if you are on Twitter um, and you want to see a long, long, detailed thread um, explaining Kirby Doc's play that gave me a lot of hope, um, there's a user called High, High as in like, High as in like, you could be high or like High as in high level, uh, High underscore Sebastian. Um, and I did retweet the thread from our Twitter account. Uh, and it is quite detailed. It has a lot of video analysis. Unfortunately, it's just on Twitter. So, you know, um, you you can sort of, if you're, if you're a Twitter user, you can find it. I can also link the thread if you want to send us an email. Um, I'll try and pin it on our YouTube as well. And that made me feel a lot better about Kirby Doc, to be honest. Like, there was a, a lot of potential in, in what Sebastian was saying. I thought the analysis was detailed and backed up by video evidence. So I think, you know, everybody who's like a little bit concerned about this trade uh, can rest a little bit easier. And I think for me, for the trade not to be a bust personally, I think that we need to have as a whole a good 1A, 1B center depth. Nick Suzuki and Kirby Doc, I don't care who's, you know, one, who's two. I just want him to be a top six forward. If he's a top six caliber forward, I'm going to feel better and not next year, but you know, like to not this upcoming season, but the season after that, if he's not top six material, then then I'm going to be like, well, this was not a great idea because at that point, Shane Wright is going to be top six. Material. Maybe who knows? Uh, all no development is never linear, especially when you play for the Chicago Blackhawks and snap your wrist in half on a freak injury and also play for the Chicago Blackhawks. So uh, what else do we have in the mailbag, Laura? Jimbo Slewfoot, I love this name every time it comes up. Mailbox question speculation. Now, bear in mind, this was before the last Friday mailbag. I'm really excited for the future, but I can't help thinking we have too many good prospects and picks this year to develop them all. Sometimes I want to see a lot of players gone, such as Drouin and Petrie are at the top. Now, now Petrie's gone. Maybe Armia, although I think he could be very good this year. Hoffman, unless he connects with Dadanov, and Dvorak to form a good line. I have reservations about David Savard, but he can solidify the play of a rookie like he did with Romanov. As much as the team has to play their cards close to the chest right now, I wonder if they will go all out with young guys or a mix of older and uh, older guys and younger guys to, to sturdy the ship. Please chip in on this, everyone. I'm hungry for opinions and a bad season could lead to Connor Bedard. So I think that when you are in a rebuild and you aren't in your window yet, too many picks and prospects is not a bad thing. Because you're going to be able to trade those away or you're going to be able to replace players that are too expensive and you have to let them walk. That was my thought was there's no such thing as too many good prospects. Uh, when it comes time for contracts, it is then unless you're, you know, Steve Eisman and Julian Breezewa, you have a lot of juggling to do. Um, but the thing about the Habs prospect is that not a lot of them are signed to NHL deals quite yet. Yeah, Slavkovsky and Meshar are... Um, I imagine Owen Beck probably won't be too far behind that after the season here, but a lot of them are still in their junior leagues or in the NCAA or over in Europe. And I'm not totally worried about like contract space or money or anything like that. And I'd rather have too many options than not. Cause you want, when you're rebuilding, you want as many cracks at this as you can. If you only have, you know, six draft picks, 
you better hit more often than not. When you have 13 in a draft, you want to hit on all 13, obviously. But if you have some misses, you're more than likely to have hits elsewhere. And it becomes a little bit easier um, to kind of focus on what you're doing in the future here. And the way the Canadians are focusing on development now with Adam Nicholas and everyone else who is involved with prospects I feel a lot safer about it than I did under Mark Bergman in the previous regime here, because there's an emphasis on making sure their nutrition's up to where it needs to be there. They have a game plan on, Hey, we want you to work on this. This is what we want you to do. When you go back to your league, if you're not staying work hard and this is it, there's an end goal and a process. If there was no process, then I'd panic about it a little bit. As for pieces getting moved out, who Petrie's already gone. You know, betting lines are saying there's still one more move coming this week, which I guarantee is going to happen when we want to take a day off or it's going to happen going into the weekend. But there's still things brewing, and it's still so early. Like, um, free agency was just last Wednesday. There is so much time left for things to happen here that I'm not sweating it. I'll worry about salary cap, extra bodies when we hit September and the uh, and regular training camp is looming around the corner. I'll worry about it then. But for right now, there is a whole summer of things ahead right now. So I'm, I'm just going to let it roll off my back and not stress it too much. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as you said, there's no, there's no such thing as having too many good prospects in the system. And if you're building a perennial contender, there are some guys that know that they're going to be leaving in UFA either after a cup run or when some other guys come due. So like, it's never, it's never a bad idea to have people waiting in the wings and you're also going to be able to trade a lot of them. So I'm going to run through the rest of our questions. This one was sort of, I I want to mention the question just because I want to thank the listener, but we've come up with a guest to kind of discuss this. But the question is, I have the pleasure of watching every single Lane Hudson game this coming year at Boston university. I'm super excited. However, I'm certain he won't be the power play, uh, quarterback as senior Dom Fensore is still on the team. I'm wondering if you have any predictions or ideas on how they could best use him this year. Do they leave him on the second power play? Do they run two defensemen on the first unit and play him as a forward on the first unit? And um, the team has revamped their entire coaching staff, so I have no idea what to expect. Uh, Raphael. So thanks, Raphael. I already emailed you back to tell you that we are inviting a guest very, very soon to talk about Lane Hudson in particular and how his development should be. Um, And then we have a question from Paul G. The logjam now appears at forward. How do you think Hughes plans to deal with it? Right now, there seems to be no chance to play Raphael Harvey-Pinard or Yassi Lunin. I I still think bodies are moving out here. I think guys like Yol Armia are going to be shipped out. I know they said Dodonov is expected to start the season in Montreal, but I can't imagine that there might not be a team that comes knocking going, hey, uh, he seems useful and you want cap space and you want to be bad. Or we will give you X for him. And I can see Ken Hughes going, huh, yeah, this is smart business. I got him for literally nothing. So, and flipping him into positive assets. It's like we just said with the whole cap space and uh, too many prospects is something's going to give here soon and there's going to be bodies moving out and throughout the season bodies are going to be moving out and they're going to call guys up, which is why they're doing as much as they can to load up the AHL team as it stands right now because Rafael Harvey Pernod will probably be called up when there's injuries. Yes, he alone will probably be called up when there's injuries. There's options for them. 
and I think they can jump into those roles sooner rather than later. I think they're both ready for NHL time, Harvey Pinard more so than uh, Yulinen, but it, it's it's not as logjammed when you consider a lot of these pieces are likely going to be gone by the trade deadline at the latest, if not before the regular season fully starts and teams are trying to finalize rosters and whatnot. We have one final question from Chinana Lerbong. As I said, there was another non goaltending question which music festival are you Oshiaga, heavy mtl il sonic which is the uh, like it's dance house dance that kind of stuff like uh, stuff that i'm too old for um or lasso mtl uh, i'm gonna go ahead and just assume i'm Oshiaga because arcade fire dual yeah i'm gonna go ahead and just say that i'm Oshiaga because i'm not country i don't do house and dance music and all that stuff um i am stay at home and just watch concerts on youtube age though so i uh <laughs> i don't think i could survive festivals because the minute it gets above 80 i go man it's a hot one out there gotta stay hydrated and then i will not pay nine dollars for a bottle of water at a festival so i so i'm also oshiaga um i'm a little bit of everything and uh definitely do tend to listen to what's trendy at certain points and have like my favorites that are kind of like a little bit secret favorite not secret favorites but like low-key low favorites that not everybody listens to so it's a big mix of everything uh but here's my idea let's stop doing concerts in july and august or festivals in july and august and let's start <laughs> doing them in october i mean then it's yes. beautiful out like, it's why not you, awful. Why are we doing them when it's... I, I mean, I know why, because capitalism is a thing, but, like, that's a lot of people who don't know how to drink water. Like, that's that's just... That's an insurance headache that I don't really care to think about. So I'm showing my age with this, too. Like, in a big, big way. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my lawn. No, you know what? I would go to I would go to a fall Oshiaga or heavy MTL, which is also in the summer, and, uh, you know... Il Sonic, which is in August, and I would go to all of those things if they were in the fall. I just don't like the heat. Like I'm, I'm old for sure, but I'd get off my couch and I would go um, if it was like at, in more pleasant weather. And before I sign off, I'm just gonna say that Glastonbury is like my bucket list, and it doesn't matter how old I am. One day I will go. I heard that Emma Thompson went like when she was like in her fifties. Um, so I definitely want to do that one day in my life. I mean. Festivals aren't really my thing. I'm not a big crowds person. What can I say? So I'm, I'm boring. Uh, that is it for our Friday mailbag. If you want to send us questions at LO underscore Canadians, lockdown Canadians at gmail.com in the YouTube comments. Uh, if you want to tweet us, Laura's at the active stick. I'm at Scott Matla. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast, subscribe on YouTube. So you see our brilliant faces as we go. Uh, and we will see you all next time.